Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Don't forget to visit us at our website, christ-life.org, and find out all about the Christ life. We'd love for you to visit. Now, today we're going into the part two of the seed, the Christ life nature and spirit, part two, as given by Warren Litzman. This is part of the foundation set, and it has been so interesting up to now, and today's really going to be interesting. You're going to love it. So let's get right into it. Here's Warren. There's so many things I could talk to you about this Christ that's in us. For instance, his spirit. What about the spirit of Christ in us? Has it changed? No. Any man have not the spirit of Christ, Paul said he's none of his. So what is in the spirit of Christ? Better, what is in the seed that's in us? I just want to separate one area of the life of Jesus of Nazareth and tell you that I believe the seed still has those components in it, in every one of us. While I can't be Jesus of Nazareth, I search these scriptures, the four gospels, and other places to learn this Christ. How can I grow up in him if I'm ignorant of him? And so there are components in the seed that brings forth his life in me. If I held an acorn in my hand that produces the great oak tree, inside that little acorn, no bigger than the end of my finger, would be a full, total tree, maybe going up 70 feet in the air, stretching out a 100 foot wide with branches and limbs and trunks and leaves and bark everything to make a huge oak tree is in that little acre. Everything to make you what God created you to be is in that seed that's in you right now because there is no other salvation other than Christ in you as a seed. There is no other way you can flourish and bring forth the glory of God on this earth. So it's all there. And I'm just picking out four areas of the life of Christ tonight, and I want you to hear what the Scripture has to say about Jesus in these areas, because I believe these are things that are specifically and definitely in the seed. Just four of them. I won't weary you long, but I'd like for you to see this. First, I'd like for us to turn to the second chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 49. In this area of the scripture, we have Jesus lost in the church. Mary and Joseph have gone to be registered, and they've gotten taken up in fellowship and having a big time with all the folks that came with them on the trail from Nazareth, and they got into such a time of fellowship and in such a rush to get back home that they left the church and forgot Jesus. He was only a 12-year-old boy. But they got so taken up with what they was doing that they ran off and left him. 
and got on the journey a day or so and suddenly discovered Christ wasn't with all the rest of the kids. And they had to turn around and go back and look for Jesus. And when they got to him, verse 49 says, And he said unto them, Jesus talking, How is it that you sought me? Wished you not? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Oh, that introduces to us something very keen and very natural, let's say, about the seed that's in us. For here we have a little boy, just 12 years of age. An ordinary little boy might have been spanked if he said that to his parents. But this was deep. This was rich. He was talking to the doctors of the law and explaining to them the plan of God at the age of 12, speaking as no one else had ever spoken. A message that no one else knew. And the key was I am about my father's business. What if I was to tell you that there is a forceful, powerful drawing inside the little boy Jesus that made him to stand against parents, stand up against the doctors of the law and everybody in the church house and say, I am about my, M-Y, my, Father's business. Do you have faith enough to believe that's in the seed in you? Same Christ. He's not going to come out of you as Jesus of Nazareth or as a God, but that's in the Christ seed. That's in the Spirit of Christ. Two things in that statement. The first was he introduced them to a new father. The hardest thing Jesus ever did is so often overlooked because it's one of the big barriers we have in growing up in Christ, and that's what to do with those closest to us, even parents. At the age of 12, Jesus let Joseph know that he wasn't his father. Now, Joseph's going to feed him and house him and clothe him and take care of him, but Jesus, at the age of 12, let Joseph know he wasn't his father because the business he was about was his heavenly father's business, not his stepfather, Joseph. That's kind of hard on us to look at life that deep, isn't it? Let's say with that depth. Jesus had it. The first miracle he ever performed, he did another remarkable thing. He never from that time on recognized Mary as his mother. In Cana of Galilee, he said, Woman, woman. He said that to his mother. <laughs> woman, my hour has not yet come. And from then on, every time he addressed Mary, he called her a woman. Isn't that strange? Even on the cross. Woman, behold your son. What is he doing? The seed that he is had a powerful bend in it that we are the offspring of God. I'm the offspring of God. I'm rebirthed by this father. The church didn't rebirth me. Doctrine didn't rebirth me. 
Water baptism didn't rebirth me. I'm born again from above by my Father. So Jesus says first here, I'm at my Father's business. My Father's my heavenly Father, and I'm in his business. Now, did you know that was in you? Could you believe that that's in the God seed that's in you, you've partaken of the God nature? Could you believe that's in the God nature, that at various points of your life you need to cry out and say, hey, I'm messing around with things and doing things and involved in things that are not my Father's business. I must be about my Father's. Why? I'm his offspring. I'm his offspring. I'm his child. What does that mean? That means that at age of 12, Jesus had come in contact with the greatest truth his soul would ever know. And that was the truth that God was his father. And so I'm going to tell you, we've said it many times before and have a wonderful little booklet out here written on the subject, the fatherhood of God, that the greatest truth you'll ever learn soulishly is the truth that God is your father. At some juncture, you have to exchange in your mind him from being almighty God, full of power and judgment, to where he's your father who has birthed you. That's different. He'll still be almighty God, but more so and keener in your walk will be the fact that he's your father. He's birthed you. That's what will make the difference in your faith. That'll make the difference in your walk. Because all of a sudden, he's not almighty God, ready to slap you down like he did the Israelites or the Amalekites or some other ites. You're no ite. You're his offspring. Now, once you get that fixed in your mind, that'll not only straighten you out, but that'll give you the peace and the joy of knowing that God's not again me. My father has birthed me, and I'm his responsibility. But he also said, you must be about his business. The Father's business. I kind of love this idea because everybody today, I think the greatest consciousness to Christians today is the changing world all around us. It is radically changing. I hope you're aware of that. That you can't live in a little corner somewhere and not know what's going on in this world. It's a different world than 10 years ago, especially different than 20 years ago. It's a raunchy world. It's a sick world. It's a world without values. It's a world where no one takes responsibility hardly anymore. It's a different kind of world than we've ever lived in. And at some juncture, we must be about our Father's business. That seed within us has to say the only way to exist in this world is as a Father's offspring. I'm not going to change the world. Ironically, Jesus didn't change the world that he lived in. He changed the people. He never changed the world. I heard a big argument this week on radio on a talk show that Jesus was not against slavery, and so this guy was against Jesus because he said Jesus never spoke out against slavery. And so the real point of the gospel was lost, that there was, he was not here to change the world. Paul was not here to change the world. That's why we have the powerful little grace epistle letter to Philemon 
because it is a message that God's not here to change the world. This slave belongs to a Christian owner, and he needs to return and honor his debt. Our purpose is not to change the world. There are some change, some things you need to change. A woman came to me uh, night before last over New Orleans, and she said, uh, uh, what do you think about me being in the abortion crusade? I'm really stirred up about it, and I, I want to do something politically. I said, if you let God do it. But I said, don't get all upset if you don't change the situation. Where then is the big change as Christians? What is it that we are to do in this world? We're to be about our Father's business. What is his business? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. In the end, finally and ultimately, our business is getting the message to people. Most won't even listen, but that's still our business. That's a little hard on you because we're in the day of super churches. Everything's super and big today. But most people won't listen. But our mission is to bring the gospel. I think of Christ. When he hang on the cross, we have no evidence that he felt like he would bless anybody or help anybody but do God's will. Of course, the whole world was saved by what he did. But that wasn't his objective and neither is it ours. And it is in the seed that we must be about our Father's business. That's in you. That's Jesus in you. Well, let's move on. Another verse of Scripture in the Christ life I'd like to point out to you. This is in John chapter 4 and verse 34. John 4 and 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat, my life, survival. What I survive on is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That's in the seed that's in you. In you is a powerful force that says you were created by God to finish the work that God has led you to do. Ironically, most people don't understand the work of God. Most people have it in their mind that the work of God is me to teach a class somewhere, me to be a preacher, me to pray and see if I can get a call to be an evangelist or to be a singer, to be a musician. We don't understand the doing of the will of God. Do you realize that your worship to God every day is in your doing, whatever it is you do. That's a form of worship. Why? You and Christ are one. You're in a non-separated state from the Christ that is in you. You're one. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And in that non-separated state, you don't do anything aside from him unless you, by willful action, separate yourself from the Christ within you. So that means that when you are in the Spirit, everything you do is as unto the Lord. And everything you do, you do in the name of Jesus. 
the Lord said. A lady came to me night before last. She's a school teacher. And she said, I want you to pray that I can get another job. I said, well, what's your trouble? Why, why are you wanting another job? Aren't you now a teacher? Yes. But she said, I want to move. She taught fourth or fifth grade or something. And she said, I'm so sick and tired of those kids, I can't stand them anymore. <laughs> she said, they're mean, they're ungodly, they're like aliens. And she said, I don't teach anymore. All I do is correct. And she said, I've gotten to where I rant and rave. And she said, I've got to get out of that classroom. I looked at her and I said, what I often do when somebody talks to me about things like this. I said, do you realize that if you're removed from that classroom, the only Jesus those kids may ever see has left? Oh, she said, my God, they don't see Jesus in me. <laughs> but I said, he's in you. If you leave, Without God's will, you're taking the only Jesus from them because that's where God has planted you right now. I said, if it's God's will, you get another job, he'll open the door for you. But I said, you need to get it in your mind that that's your ministry, that's your pulpit, that's your congregation, you're God's servant. I say that to housewives, that's your pulpit. I say that to secretaries, your desk and your typing is your pulpit and your audience is those you come in contact with. You see, I don't take lightly this business of Christ alive. I can't take lightly he who said I am the resurrection and the life and the fact that he's in me and then me live like everybody else. The school teacher said, what should I do? I said, the next time you correct them instead of ranting and raving, Encourage them and love them. See if you can find a Jesus way to deal with it. I said, you fall into the trap we all fall into, where we try to make the changes ourselves. I said, you may not change them, but I said, how else are they going to see Jesus if they don't see Christ in the one person who takes up more of their organized time than any other human? Oh, she said, I never thought of that. My pulpit, you here. Don't be envious of me. Your pulpits, your office that you work in, the company you work for, that's where you go every day to minister. Your labor is a ministry. The Testament, New Testament says do it right. Give on a full day's work. That's your ministry. That's where Christ is alive in you. That's the Father's business. But as Jesus says in this 34th verse, that's the will of God. My meat, my very life drive is to be that Christ where I am. The grocery store, the filling station. The world doesn't want to see another Baptist. They don't want to see another charismatic. They need to see Jesus. And sooner or later this world's going to learn if they're to be saved, if they are going on with God. They're going to learn by the Holy Spirit that Christ as you, Christ coming out of you like you are, is real Christianity. It's not going to church, not just singing in a choir, it's not praying prayers and reading the Bible. 
It's Christ coming out of you like a seed bears the life of another person. That's what the world hasn't seen. I'm very frank to tell you that I believe God hit in the head a lot of our television ministries for the simple reason that's not what he wanted the world to see. What he want? He wanted you to bring forth Christ, that he who flows like rivers of living water would come out of you. You don't have to wear a sign on your back or hand out tracts. You just have to live who you are and realize that my very life is to express this Christ who lives in me. That's the gospel we haven't given you. If he's really there, he'd like to come out of you. By the knowledge that you have, he'll come out of you. Not my knowledge or the knowledge of this book, but whatever knowledge you have about Jesus Christ will come forth out of you. That's in the seed. Let's go to another one. John, chapter 17, Lord's Prayer. At verse 4, he says, I have glorified thee. He's talking to the Father. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. You know why most of us are not happy? I'm going to tell you. God has little or no interest in working out your life like you want it. Now, I have to confess, he has a little interest because he's full of love. But why should he be interested in working out your life like you want it when he's put another life in you that you can live? Shall he be double-minded? Well, of course. We're usually so dumb and ignorant of his ways that he takes a look at us and says, if I don't help them, they'll never make it. But that's not what he wants. That's second choice. You know about God's second choices? That's what we usually get. We don't get first choice. We get second choice. God's first choice will be he that is in you is greater than anything that stands against you. Depend on him. Instead, he looks at us and says, well, they don't know about Jesus in them. And so they're in a big mess. And I am a miracle-working God. And I am full of love. And I'm going to help them along a little till they come to knowledge. The only thing that's wrong with us when he gives us that miracle, instead of us straightening out ourselves, we want another miracle. And that's the story of our life. That's what our prayers become. For Jesus says here in this Lord's Prayer, he says, I've glorified thee on earth. You know how we glorify God? By being what he created us to be. You ever see a little bird sitting on a limb just singing beautifully? It's glorifying God. A beautiful tree waving its limbs. It's glorifying God. A sunset. It glorifies God. Why? All of these things are in their natural realm and orbit doing what they were created to do. Glorify God. The Christ in you says, I have glorified God. I used to think I'd bring glory to God. I used to tell the folks, let's give a big offering and we'll glorify the Lord. I had it backwards. It isn't what we do. It's Christ operating in us that glorifies God. Us becoming what we were created to be. 
So Jesus says, on this occasion, I have glorified God. I've glorified him. You ever bring any glory to God? One of you need to ask it when the husband and wife gets in a fuss. Who glorifies God? The raising of your children. Where is God glorified? He's glorified when Christ comes through us. By whatever knowledge we know about Christ, we put it into action. And the Holy Spirit uses even our very limited knowledge of Christ. But we have to separate ourselves from him so that he's our total self. We've got to step into Galatians 2.20. I am crucified. I don't live at this moment. Yet I'm alive because he lives through me. You have to fix that in your thinking. That's what life is all about. That's how we're going to make it. That's how we're going to overcome. Christians are going to overcome that no. We're going to have a world where abortion is on every hand. We're going to have a world of homosexuals. We're going to have a world of criminals. We're going to have a world of misadjusted, maladjusted people all about us. But you're going to overcome because he that is in you has but one purpose through you, and that's to glorify God. Glorify God. That's in the seed. That's in you. Don't come and tell me you can't do it. fellow was a alcoholic came in not long ago, and he said, I know I don't glorify God. He said, I know I've got severe problems. And he said, I just can't glorify God. I said, I'm glad to hear you say that. Because I said, you are not supposed to. It was Christ working through you that glorifies God. But I said, you've never given your mind to Christ. You keep on trying to glorify God through your actions, and you fail. You'll fail in your marriage. You'll fail in the raising of your children. And that's a big subject. Because our children today live in a dual world. Trying to be what you want and being what the peer group all around them is ordering them to be. Like an order it's telling them to do that. So it isn't an easy world right now. But you glorify God by letting Christ be your life. Think on it. One more point. John 19 and 30. Jesus says something else about the discipline. All of these scriptures have to do with the discipline to the believer. John 19 and 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I'm always stirred by those words that Jesus said it is finished. Because obviously what was taking place was very, it was very obvious. Obviously, it was obvious. He's dying. Anybody that looked at him know he's dying. Enough blood's dripped from his body. He can't live much longer. So it wasn't the finish of his body. It wasn't the finish of his earthly life. What was finished was God's intention for Christ. God's intention was finished. It was intended by God that Christ would be birthed by God himself in a virgin and would live his life and give his life so that God might have a dying seed. And by that, God would have the right to redeem everyone who believed that Jesus died for our sins. That was God's intention. But deeper than that, 
it was God's intention that Christ be in every human being. Chosen was a human being to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. Chosen by God to be that. That was intention. What was finished? That intention. Now then, every human being created in the image and likeness of God would have an opportunity to be what God intended. Every one of you in this room have an opportunity from God to be everything God intended that you be. But your enemy is what you know and don't know. In fact, your enemy is your mind. That's why Paul said we need a renewal of mind. That's why Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Why have I taken four scriptures out of the Christ life tonight? Because that's the mind that must be in you. Why? That was the mind in Christ Jesus. The way he thought. That's the only way you're going to change your mind. Renew your mind. is by hearing from him. Let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Why? That fits the seed. Until you give the Christ in you a mind, he's mindless. He has no mind but yours. But, Paul said in another place, we have the mind for Christ. He has no mind but yours. You don't give him a mind. He's not able to operate and to work out of you. What was finished on the cross was the intention of God. And this is really what our lives are all about. I like to talk about an old man, must have been 80 years old. He's sitting as close to me as Doug was in a crowded room one night. And he looked over at his wife when I was about finished and said, you think any of that stuff will work? Said it out loud. I looked at him and I said, 80 years old, it'll work in you as well as anybody. But I said, you've got to renew your mind. And that's an awesome thing, to change your mind about who you are, about your identity, about your birthing, about who your father really is. You've got to change your mind about those things, or else Christianity will all be outer, and you'll never have that inward rest and peace that belongs to the children of God. That's how simple it is. I don't want you to live and die and never come to the joy of this message or the power there is in knowing Christ lives in you. My whole purpose in coming here is to bring you this message. My second purpose is I love you and I miss you and I don't see you because you're wonderful children of God who spend some time listening to these things that can make a great difference in your life. But I don't want you to live and die and never have any of this joy after listening to all of this. So you're going to have to give a mind to this Christ. And at some point, you're going to have to say, Father, that old way of thinking is finished. Your intention now is working in my life. I'll quit. It's just two years ago this month that I went to be with the Lord. Glorious time. If he had asked me, do you want to go back? I'd have said to the Father, no, this is it. This is the joy and happiness that every Christian must have longed for because I was in the most peaceful, wonderful state. I was unconscious, had open heart surgery. I almost died. 
doctor said I was 15 minutes from dying, that he couldn't have saved me if we'd have waited 15 minutes more. That's pretty close, I guess, in the light of eternity. But you know what? I clearly heard my father say, I'm sending you back. Go on back and finish what you started. I don't know when that finish will take place for me. I may be here one night and just fall over and he'll take me. But that will have been a finish. See, I'm not afraid to go. I'm not scared of the moment. That was so blessed that as much as I love you and want to be with you, I had rather be there because I had a taste of it. I knew what it was to not be in control of my life. But I'm back here to finish it, to finish what he started. What years ago gripped our hearts in a message that we felt was clearly enunciated in this book, but not clearly preached. And so I come back to finish it. I want to see it finished in you. The greatest grief I would ever have would have been to take all this time, three years about being here, about that long, is it to be here all this time and you never take hold of your identity in Christ. So you can walk out of this room with a new determination or you can walk out of this room as a Methodist or Baptist or whatever you are, or a German or a Scotsman or Irishman or whatever you are, or you can walk out of this room with a whole new identity. I've got the God seed in me. I'm going to give some time and attention to it. Paul said to search the scriptures until your mind is renewed. I really will quit right there. Have so much to say, but we have time to say it. And if you don't get it here, we'll get it up at the Father's house later. This is about the best group I think I've ever seen here, this close to the Father's house. And we are one month closer. God love you for being here. Reach over and take your neighbor by the hand, will you? Take your neighbor by the hand and kind of look him in the eye and say, I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in you. In your life and all that you do, I see Jesus in you. Because I see Jesus in me. I see Jesus in me. In my life and all that I do, I see Jesus in me. Amen. That's it. That's all there is to it. Another great message from Warren Litzman. This time, this is part of the foundation set number two. You've been listening to The Seed, the Christ Life Nature and Spirit Part Two. We hope you've enjoyed it. Again, we'd like for you to visit our website, Christ-Life.org. Read all about the In Christ message, the Christ Life, and don't forget to go to that bookstore. Warren Litzman left us behind so many wonderful uh, things like books, videos, audio tapes. A lot of the things you hear about and hear on this podcast, you can have in your own home by visiting our bookstore. Again, that's Christ-Life.org. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman, who allows us to go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful podcasts. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. 
Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.